Well, the text this morning, again, is Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. The sermon title this morning is, All Other Ground is Sinking Sand. Jesus is going to talk about sand this morning, and he's going to contrast sand with a sure and solid, firm foundation. So before we ever start this morning, you just need to have in your mind that all other ground, aside from the solid rock of Christ, is sinking sand. Jesus, again, is bringing the Sermon on the Mount to a close, and he's doing so last week and this week with some very, very sobering warnings about the fact that we can, if we are not careful, easily be deceived. He warns us to look out for false messages. He warns us to look out for false prophets. He warns us to look out for false professions. That's where we were last week. We said it is one thing to profess Christ. It is another thing altogether to possess him by faith. Jesus was warning us last week to to be careful, to be discerning, because there are false professions. A profession of faith that is not backed up with a righteous life is a sham. It's a phony. Okay? A profession of faith that is not backed up with with the bud and and, and the, the growing nature of righteousness in a person's life is a phony profession of faith. This morning, Jesus confronts us with the issue of false foundations and sure foundations. You know, Jesus didn't preach his message concerned about whether those who heard it would like his style, whether they would praise his his elocution, or they would be amazed at his illustrations. Though we'll see in our text as we wrap up the Sermon on the Mount next week that those who heard Jesus' words did stand in amazement because Jesus taught unlike their scribes and Pharisees because he taught as one who had authority. Jesus didn't say, so-and-so said, and so-and-so said. Jesus said, I say to you. He spoke with authority, with commanding, resounding authority. But Jesus wasn't concerned with whether or not people would be amazed at his teaching or not, or whether they would love his illustrations. You see, the real issue isn't whether listeners, either they or we, liked his sermon, but rather, what are we going to do about it? Catch that, friends. The question isn't whether we like Jesus' words, whether we agree with his teaching, whether we think that his illustrations are wonderful or not. The question is, what will we do with what he has said? All eternity hangs on the balance of that question. What will we do with what he has said? You know, oftentimes we listen to sermons and we evaluate the sermon or even the sermon giver. Uh, that's right and true because we want to be discerning, right? I have said multiple times, what you hear from from this pulpit or any other pulpit, I want you to listen to it uh, and be discerning, to have, have your filter up, not to be suspicious or skeptical, but to be discerning. Listen, is what you're hearing congruent with God's word? Is your filter up and active? Is it processing what you're hearing through God's word? Oftentimes we evaluate sermons and the sermon giver. Sometimes we do so critically. And so let me ask you this question. Do you come to church on Sunday mornings, whether it be this church or any other church, not to evaluate the sermon, but rather to let the sermon evaluate you? Why do you come on Sunday mornings? Do you come to sit under the authoritative, sufficient, searching word of Jesus Christ? Or do you come 
to be a part of the country club and to pick apart the message and to talk about why the carpet's green and it should be a different color and why we ought to do this and do that and why aren't we doing that. You know, I totally missed the point. We gather together on Sunday mornings that God's word might search us, that it might evaluate us, that it might expose us, that it might break us down. In other words, that it might humble us and that the gospel message might come right back behind it and build us up to be broken and then to be built. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus reminds us that nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known or come to light. Jesus says, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and to the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Friends, these are sobering, searching words. Why, why do you come to church? Why do you listen to the word taught? Do you, do you listen to evaluate it, or do you listen to be evaluated by it? Let's turn our attention to our text this morning. Let me encourage you to stand if you have the ability. This is Matthew recording Jesus' words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and these are the words that he pens. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. The question this morning is, what will you do with what you hear? What will you do with what you hear? Jesus draws the line in the sand between those who hear his words and do them or put them into practice. Of course, Jesus says that is indicative of the wise man. And he draws the line in the sand between the wise man who hears his word and puts them into practice with those who hear his word and do not do them or do not put them into practice. That is the foolish man. The one who hears and practices is wise. The one who hears and does not practice is foolish, Jesus says. Friends, can you think of another New Testament text that raises the issue of hearing the word and doing it or hearing the word and not doing it? James tells us in James chapter 1, he says, be doers of the word, and not hearers only. If you're a hearer only, James says, you deceive yourselves. Remember, Jesus has been talking to us about being self-deceived, thinking that you're in when you're really out, thinking that you're saved when you're not really saved, thinking that you're converted when you're really unconverted. Gave you some pretty staggering statistics last week, according to the Barna Research Group. Some 70-plus percent of Americans would make a a verbal profession of faith, would ascribe to Christianity in some way, shape, or form. But what did Jesus tell us? He said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. 
So James tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only. If we hear only, we deceive ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently, stares at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once he forgets what he looks like. But to the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, in other words, keeps on keeping on. Being not only a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all his doing. You see, James chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, tells us that the man who hears but doesn't act is like a forgetful man. Jesus raises the bar here in our text because Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, tells us that the man who hears but doesn't act isn't just a forgetful man, but he's a foolish man or a foolish woman. A man builds a life much the same way that engineers build cities. The factor that determines what will remain or what will stand the test of time, so to speak, is the foundation. It's the foundation that determines whether a structure will stand the test of time. Surveyors, engineers, and builders take great care to ensure that the ground is firm and secure before the building process ever begins. You ever wonder sometimes as you're driving around town why you see, you know, a lot that's getting ready to be built on and they've got surveyors and engineers out there and you've got guys that are holding up reflectors and guys that are pointing meters at this and that and they've got graders that are running across and it seems like it takes so long. It's like, when are we going to see a structure? When are we going to see sticks and bricks begin to go up here? Well, the reason that it takes so long so often It's because those builders are very concerned about the foundation they're getting ready to erect that structure on. And it would be foolish. It would be foolish to not take into consideration that foundation. Sometimes dirt needs to be brought in. Sometimes ground needs to be compacted. Sometimes rock or gravel needs to be laid down. Sometimes pilings need to be driven down and to the ground. You see, we take great care to ensure that the foundation is secure before we ever begin the building process. And just as the foundation is critical to the structural integrity and longevity of a building made of brick and mortar, so also the spiritual foundation of a man or a woman is critical to his or her longevity and integrity of life. In his closing words on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stresses the importance of an adequate spiritual foundation. You have one, friends? Do you have an adequate spiritual foundation, one that will stand the test of time? Storms are coming. We'll talk about those temporal storms of life here in just a few minutes, but there is an eternal storm that is coming. There is a reckoning day. There is a payday. There is a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will all stand toe-to-toe with our Maker. He is the one that spoke creation into existence, and He is the one to whom all life terminates back at. We'll all stand before him one day. And we'll be found in one of two places. Either having an adequate foundation, being found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You'll either be found in Adam, with a secure, or in Christ rather, with a secure foundation, or you'll be found in Adam, in your own flesh trying to earn and maintain by your own striving and doing. And it'll never be enough. It's an inadequate foundation. 
Jesus teaches us this truth by illustrating the contrast between two builders here. Again, the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. You see, as both begin their building, just track with me for a second here. You think about uh, maybe a neighborhood. Maybe you've lived in one of these neighborhoods where it's, it's being built, but your house is already complete, and so you're getting to watch the building process of other homes around you. I lived in a neighborhood like that before we moved to Cape Girardeau. We were one of the first homes to be built, and so we got to watch all the rest of the houses be built. And you think about these two builders here. As they begin building, a casual observer would not have noticed any difference between the two houses. For the difference lay beneath the surface. The difference, again, was in the home's foundation. And foundations aren't seen. Foundations aren't seen. They're usually concealed. It's only when a storm broke out and battered both houses with great ferocity, rain on the roof, river on the foundation, wind on the walls, that the fundamental and fatal flaw was revealed. You see, the house built on the rock withstood the great gale, while the house built upon the sand collapsed in irreparable ruin. You think about this picture here. We've talked oftentimes about Jesus and the fact that he was a masterful teacher. Always use the perfect and the pointed illustration. Illustrations that his hearers would, would understand. They would say, ah, I, I, I got that. I get the correlation between what you're saying and its spiritual truth. Of course, in the hardness of their hearts, some did not get the correlation. But Jesus was a masterful teacher. You think about the fact that Jesus uses a fitting, a very fitting picture here. Palestine is where Jesus' life and ministry took place to a considerable extent, was a land of hills and mountains. Being close to the coast, it was oftentimes subject to frequent, sudden, and violent rains. And then you had the Jordan River that flows through, which was annually swollen to such a great extent that it became rapid and furious in its course. Then you had the streams which ran among the hills. Those channels might have been dry at some part of the season, But when the rains came, when those annual rains came, suddenly they filled with rain and they would pour down on the plains below. Everything that was in the way of these torrents would be swept away. And so you have a house here. If it wasn't anchored to the rock, if a house was was built upon sand and it was within reach of these sudden inundations, it wouldn't stand. It wouldn't stand. The rising, bursting waters would shake it at its foundations. The rapid torrent would gradually wash away its base. It would totter and then fall, and it would be swept away. You've probably seen before pictures of landslides. I mean, that didn't start the way we oftentimes see it in the pictures. It started small, and then as it goes, it picks up steam, and it begins to take everything with it. And as you watch those waters, they just engulf everything. If a structure is not adequately anchored to the ground, it disappears in an instant and it's just churned up in the muddy mess. You see, rocks, though, in Jesus' day, rocks in the country were very common. And although it took more work and more time, A structure that was secured to the rocks, 
would oftentimes withstand the gale force, wind, and rain. The problem there is that it takes work, right? We oftentimes are inclined to do what is easy, right? My parents used to always tell me growing up, and I hated this as a young man, they would look at me and they would say, son, if it's worth having, it's worth working for. And he used to say, yeah, but, and my dad would look at me, he'd say, son, nothing counts after but. Because everything after but is just a justification. And so my parents were trying to instill in me the understanding that things that are worth doing are worth working for, and it takes work sometimes. It's a whole lot quicker to build a house without taking into consideration its foundations and just to build it upon the ground that you find. It takes a whole lot more time and energy and blood and sweat and tears and work to dig down deep, which interestingly enough is the way that Luke's account of this story speaks of it. It says the wise man dug down deep. Why? Because that's where the rock basin is. He dug down deep until he got to that sure foundation and built pilings upon which he secured his house to. It takes work, right? It takes work. Jesus used this illustration because no other comparison would to a Jewish man have been more striking because they understood the rains. So Jesus is just taking a picture of what takes place in their own land and applies it to a spiritual truth. And he says, your life is just like that. Your life is just like the house. And the wind and the rain, they're coming The trials and the tribulations, the difficulties of life, they're coming. Jesus told his disciples, in this life, you'll have many trials. Now, with that is the great promise, take heart, for I've overcome the world. But you can take it to the bank, mark it sure and true. In this life, there will be difficult circumstances that will try the foundations of your spiritual house. What is it built on, friends? What is it built on? Are you a hearer only? Are you the man or the woman that simply comes to church and evaluates the message? Or do you come to church or any other setting in which you hear the word taught and do you let the word expose and evaluate you? And then do you go away and by God's grace, not out of your own doing, not out of your own power, but by God's grace, seek to apply the very truths, the very message that you've heard? I hope that you are the latter. I hope that you're the latter. Albert Barnes, a great commentator, he said this. He said, tempest and storms, afflictions and persecution, they beat around the soul. Suddenly, we think we're in safety. But the heavens may become overcast. The storm may lower and the calamity may beat upon us. In a moment, health and friends and comforts may be all gone. Again, in this world, you'll have trouble, Jesus said. How desirable then to be possessed of something that the tempest cannot reach. Such is an interest in Christ, attention to his words, reliance upon his promises, confidence in his protection, and the hope of heaven through his blood. You see, earthly calamities cannot reach these. What is your foundation built upon, friends? Let's turn our attention back to the text here. Two two points on your outline this morning, really, in all its simplicity. Number one, the house built on Christ will stand. The house built on Christ will stand. And then secondly, would encourage you to take a few notes, the house built on sand will be destroyed. The house built on Christ will stand, and the house built on sand will be destroyed. Let's talk about this house 
built on Christ. Look back at verses 24 and 25 here. Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Here's the trial, here's the trouble, here's the calamity, here's the difficulty. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded upon the rock. It had been founded upon the rock. Let's talk about this rock for just a minute. What is the rock? What is the metaphor that Jesus is speaking of here? I think, and I would submit to you, that Jesus is using the metaphor of rock, but he's speaking about himself. He's speaking about the surety of his words. He's speaking about the surety of his completed, finished, final work on Calvary's cross. Do we hear it? Do we put it into practice? Do we apply it? Jesus is the rock. He is the sure foundation. If I can just get your mind to jump back to last week, we learned from verses 21 through 23 that it's quite possible for a person to have heard Jesus' teaching and say things like, well, these are, these are true. These are true words. It's possible for a person to hear Jesus' teaching and to make a statement or a comment like that. These are true words. These are good words. This is good teaching, great sayings. They're the key to morality. They show me my need to try harder. Friends, I would submit to you that many have understood Jesus' teaching to say that. The enemy, the cunning, crafty enemy, Satan the deceiver, would love nothing more than to convince the throng of humanity that the concluding application to Jesus' teaching is just to try harder. You can do it. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Just try harder. Satan would love for you to miss the gospel of grace for the fallacy of self-achievement and attainment. But yet, wear all the trappings of Christianity. Do all the things Christians do. Go all the places that Christians go. Speak the way that Christians speak. Watch the movies that Christians watch and shun the ones they shun. Swim in the same circles. Go to the Bible studies. Be on church committees and boards. Be perfect in attendance. A Sunday school teacher or at least a consistent attender. Be a part of a small group. Do all those things. But yet miss the gospel because you think the point of Jesus' teaching is just try harder. It's a lie from the pit of hell, friends. But countless, countless churchgoers have bought into it hook, line, and sinker. Don't be one. Don't be one who mistakes the gospel of grace for the false gospel of self-achievement and attainment. Jesus said, I'm not asking you to try harder. I'm not asking you to try and build the character I've been teaching about in your own strength. You can't build that kind of character in your own strength. And to try to do so is like a man trying to build a, mount, or a mansion rather, on a foundation of sand. If you try to build your life upon the false gospel of human achievement, you're building upon a foundation of sand. And either trial in this life or the final trial when we stand toe-to-toe with our maker, it's appointed man wants to die and then there's judgment, will reveal what you're building on. You can run, but you can't hide. The problem is is that many self-deceived evangelicals don't even know that they're running. Don't even know that they're hiding. 
because they're in all the right places, but without the right heart. With a hard heart, but in the right place. Being in the right places. Jesus says you can only achieve the kind of character, you can only be the kind of kingdom citizen that Jesus has been teaching about in uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 when we build upon him, when we build upon the truth of the gospel, when there's genuine and true inner transformation as a result of humble repentance before the gospel message. Heard a guy say one time, he said, stop trying and start dying. Stop trying and start dying. I would take you back to Jesus' words. Think about the kernel of wheat. If it falls to the ground and remains only a seed, it's useless. But if it falls to the ground and what? Dies. It produces much fruit. It produces much fruit. Don't, don't mistake spiritual activity and lots of it for genuine conversion. You must die. You must be born again. Don't be the parakeet that we talked about last week. It knows all the verses and can recite them on command, but has had no heart change as a result of being confronted with the truth of the gospel. Jesus is the rock. He is the foundation. Speaking about the foundation, Jesus being the rock, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation There's our language again, a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. That is Isaiah 28, 16. And it's interesting to note, Isaiah says, whoever believes will not be in haste. The Hebrew word there for haste means disturbed. The one who believes will not be disturbed. Friends, if you build your house upon the sand, your house will be disturbed and eventually it will be destroyed. Hear these words. Hear them. Believe them. Act upon them in all humility. Paul said, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20 Peter admonished the Jewish Sanhedrin saying, this Jesus is the stone that you rejected, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation. He is the cornerstone, Acts 4.11. If we want to build that which will last for this life and eternity, there is no other foundation than that of Christ. And if we build upon him, then we can sing those words that we sang this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Don't build it upon your own striving. Don't build it upon your own labors. Don't build it upon your own working. It's built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust. Don't trust, friends. Don't seek security. In the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. First, we need to know that Jesus is the only sure foundation. Secondly, we need to be assured that if we build on the foundation of Christ, that our house will stand. It'll stand in the midst of tribulation of this life, and it will stand 
against the judgment of eternity. Why? Because Jesus already stood in my place and bore the wrath reserved for me. The storm that is to come, friends, for believers has already been born by the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he your substitute? Has he stood in your place? You can build a whole lot in front of you, but none of that can stand in your place. None of that can credit to your otherwise bankrupt account true righteousness, except Jesus' blood alone. Every child of Adam, you and I, and countless millions of others We'll walk through sorrow and pain and suffering and disappointment and eventually death. What's the solution? What's the solution? The solution isn't to try and escape. That's impossible, right? The Jordan is swelling. All the tributaries that are feeding into it are overflowing their banks. The water is flooding Palestine spiritually. What's the solution? It's not just to try to escape. That's impossible. We'll get sucked up in the mudslide along with all the other stuff. The solution is to build upon a sure foundation. The man or the woman who builds upon the foundation of Christ, whose mind is set on him, will triumph over the storms of this life and even death gloriously. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. How? Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. James gives us great encouragement when he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life. How can a man receive the crown of life? It's because Jesus has stood in your place. And borne the wrath reserved for you. And has given you the crown in exchange for your sin. It's the greatest exchange that's ever been made, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, speaking about Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus himself, here in our text, says, Although the rain falls and the floods come and the winds howl and blow The house that is founded upon me will survive. Are you just a hearer or are you a hearer and a doer? Now, let me make a few quick statements here about the fact that a true believer who has built their life upon the sure foundation of Christ can build upon that foundation that which will not survive. Catch that? There is the reality that a person can be genuinely converted, genuinely saved, banking their hope upon the sure foundation of Jesus' blood and righteousness, but yet build upon that foundation practically in life things that will not stand the test of fire that is to come. What are you building on your foundation? You want to have the right foundation... Jesus is the foundation, but believers, let me get your ear here. What are you building upon the foundation? That is also important. It's possible to be on the right foundation, to possess Christ by faith, to go through life building things that are worthless and will not remain as fruit for eternity, though you yourself 
will be saved. So Paul says, let me encourage you, keep, keep your pen or your finger there in our text. Turn over for a second to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Listen to what Paul says here. He's assuming that the person he's writing to here is a believer. Genuinely converted, saved by faith through Christ alone. But that person is building upon the right foundation that which will not last. This is what he says. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. How will it become manifest? Let me press pause right there. Because storms are coming. Storms are coming. Okay? What you're building and what you're building upon will be made known. Storms are coming. Each will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. There's coming a day where we'll stand before God and we'll give an account for our lives. The day will disclose our foundation and what we've built upon it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so let me ask you the question. Having the right foundation in place, Christian, brother or sister, what are you building upon the foundation? What does the structure look like that you're building? What do the bricks and sticks look like that you're building upon the sure foundation? Are you building, that is living, applying God's teaching for yourself, or are you building, that is living, for him? You might be familiar with the story of William Borden. Borden graduated from Yale University and then planned to serve as a missionary in China. And when his friends heard about his decision, they made great fun of him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They thought of him as foolish. Why? Because he'd come from a very prominent family, a very wealthy family. Had great influence, were highly respected in the community, those close to him asked him this question, why are you going to throw away your life in some foreign country when you could have such an enjoyable and worthwhile life here? Well, in the sovereign plan of God, Borden became ill while he was in Egypt, en route to China. And it soon became apparent that he would die and never make it to China. Here's a guy sold out for Christ. He wants to go be a missionary against the mocking jeers of his friends, and he doesn't even get there. He dies en route to China. Now, at this point, Borden could have lay there on his deathbed and said, what a waste, my friends were absolutely right. But as he lay on his deathbed in Egypt, Borden scribbled a few farewell notes to his friends, which later became his epitaph. And these are the words that he wrote. He said, no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. You see, Borden had learned to build upon the foundation of Christ. He had learned to build upon the sure foundation. He was prepared to pass confidently into Christ's presence and to hear that warm welcome, well done, good and faithful servant, which is the antithesis. It's the antithesis 
of what those who hear the word but do not put it into practice will hear. Jesus told us last week what they will hear. Depart from me, away from me, you evildoers, for I never knew you. What will you hear? It depends upon your foundation. What will you hear? It depends upon your foundation. Are you prepared to to pass into Christ's presence confidently? Because you are building your life upon the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about this house built on the sand here for just a couple of minutes. Look at verses 26 and 27. If you're not already turned back there to Matthew chapter 7, do so. Look at verses 26 and 27. So be point number two on your outline. The house built upon the sand will be destroyed. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great, magnanimous, it's the Greek word there, was the fall of it. Great was the fall of it. You see, Jesus' attention in verses 26 and 27 moves to the careless and thus foolish man or woman who hears his teaching but lets it in one ear and right out the other. You know, we oftentimes as parents think that our children are that way, right? We give them instruction and we wonder to ourselves, did that just pass in one ear and right out the other? Well, let us not be so deceived that we may be the very child at which we scratch our heads at and wonder. Did you hear me? Do you understand me? Is what I said clear? Then obey me. Jesus said, if you love me, what? You'll obey my teaching. If you love me, you'll obey me. That is the foundational principle or the mark of genuine conversion that Jesus has been putting his finger on since verse 21 is obedience. Not that we're earning our righteousness, not that we're earning our salvation by obedience, but that we're obeying because we have been truly saved. I don't work for my salvation. I work because I've been saved. That is a critical distinction. One will send you to hell. The other will send you to heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. Do not confuse those two. I don't work for my salvation. Jesus is not teaching that in any way, shape, fashion, or form. I work because I've been given a new heart. I can do no other. I'm compelled. I mean, is that not what Paul said? I'm I'm compelled to obey. I'm compelled to righteousness. Why? Because Christ died for me. 2 Corinthians 5. The word foolish here, it's the Greek adjective moros, means to be heedless or to be dull, to be blockheaded. Literally, quite literally, means to be stupid. It's stupid, Jesus says. It's moronic to hear the word and to let it go in one ear and out the other. It's actually the word from which we derive our English word moron. Foolish, Jesus said. It's foolish. And it comes with massive, massive repercussions, consequences. And notice for a second here that the storm 
is the same for the wise man as it was for the foolish man. Jesus used the exact same language in the case of both men. Look at your Bible. He said, the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house. But the result is strikingly different. The same storm is described. But the result, what happened as a consequence, is strikingly different. You see, the end result for the foolish man who heard Jesus' words but failed to apply them or to put them into practice was utter destruction. Jesus speaking about the foolish man's house, that it fell and great was the fall of it. See, this is an illustration here uh, that, that speaks to complete ruin, utter devastation. For a house built on the sand, there is no other fate than complete destruction. You see, we neglect, hear me friends, we neglect Jesus' teaching to our own peril. We neglect Jesus' teaching to our own peril. And so if you're anything like me, if you're kind of a systematic thinker, you think in grids as you're reading, you're processing, and you're kind of, kind of thinking through the text here, you may be wondering to yourself, is Jesus using fear to motivate us? It's a question that came to my mind as I was studying this week. Is Jesus using fear to motivate us? And I would tell you that I think the answer is a clear and resounding Yes. Yes, Jesus is using fear to motivate us. Jesus promised destruction to those who travel upon the broad way. He said the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter in it are many. Yes, Jesus uses fear to motivate. This was followed by a picture of unfruitful trees being cut down and thrown into fire. If you look back at verses 15 through 20, next, Jesus rejects those, categorically rejects those who are disobedient, saying, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then finally, here in our text for this morning, Jesus, without reservation, declares that the house that is built upon sand will be shattered, pulverized, and swept away by the vicious storm. Does Jesus try to motivate us by fear? Absolutely, he does. It's the most loving thing he could do. You don't have to be overly studious to conclude that Jesus uses fear as a motivator. Was he wrong to do so? No. Think about it this way. Let me me briefly illustrate it for you. If you were sleeping soundly in a house that was desperately threatened by rising floodwaters, you would thank me for pounding upon your door to rouse you. You might come with me and seek shelter with me, or you might look me in the eyeballs and tell me that you're content to try to ride the storm out by yourself, which is foolish, by the way, but you probably would not accuse me of trying to scare you into safety. Catch it? You might come with me if I came banging on your door to rouse you, to let you know the floodwaters were rousing. You might come with me. Or you might foolishly look me in the eyeballs and tell me that you're going to try to ride it out yourself, but what you probably would not do is accuse me of trying to scare you into safety. Neither would we accuse Jesus here of just using some kind of fear tactic. The most loving thing Jesus can do is to tell us that there's a day of reckoning coming. Build upon the right foundation. Hear these words of mine and put them into practice. Trust me. Don't try to save yourself. Don't try to ride it out. That's foolish. It's moronic. It's idiotic. It's stupid. It's blockheaded. It's dull. Don't do it. It's the most loving thing Jesus could do. 
And not only did Jesus point us down the road and say, there's a guy down there. Jesus looks us in the eye and he says, I'm the guy. I am the one. Look unto me. Put your hope in me. Trust in me. Humble yourself before my mighty right hand. Believe the gospel. Anchor, tether all your hope in my finished, completed work on Calvary's cross. Friends, Jesus spoke twice as often of hell than he did of heaven. Why? To warn you and I not to be caught in the imminent storm and to find yourself shut out from ultimate safety of your soul. Friends, if you listen to Jesus' words and you just fancy them as general, pithy platitudes, but you don't put them into practice, you demonstrate. And hear me, hear me gently, hear me kindly, hear me truthfully, but let the full weight of this fall upon you. If you just hear Jesus' words as general, pithy platitudes, but you do not put them into practice by faith, you demonstrate that you're unconverted. You demonstrate that you don't really know Christ. You may know a lot about him, but that won't save you in the end. There are a lot of people who will walk straight into hell who had a whole lot of their Bible memorized. Don't mistake the two, knowing a lot about him and knowing him by faith. You see, fear that fixes its focus on self is sinful, but fear that looks to Jesus, can save your soul. Don't get them mixed up. Let me land the plane here. Jesus is teaching us that everything depends on whether or not you act upon what you hear. That's how we started the message this morning. What will you do with what you hear? You see, being around truth is not enough. Truth must enter and affect you. It must change you. It must change you. As you hear about heart anger, which is Jesus has been addressing in the Sermon on the Mount, you must ask yourself, do I hold resentment against anyone? As you hear about heart lust, you must ask yourself, am I allowing lust to dominate my thoughts? As you hear about turning the other cheek, you must ask yourself, am I returning evil for evil, or am I returning good for evil? As you hear about laying up treasures in heaven, you must ask yourself, am I doing this? As you hear about seeking God's kingdom first, You must ask yourself, am I focusing my heart and my life on seeking Christ? Friends, the foundation of your life must be submitted to and controlled by the word of Christ. If if you are to build upon the right and sure and solid foundation, you must build upon a life that is submitted to and controlled by the word of Christ. In other words, submitted to his lordship. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, who were not submitted to his lordship. Jesus says, do what I say. Inscribed on the wall of the Lubeck Cathedral in Lubeck, Germany, is an anonymous but piercing quote, and I'll leave us with this this morning. This is what it says. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. What will you do 
with what you hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your heart-searching words this morning. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. We know and we declare and we preach and we teach and we labor to let others know that no amount of striving can save the human soul, no amount of trying, no amount of trying to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps can save us. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Lord, I pray if there's an unconverted individual here this morning, that they would flee from self-trust and they would fly to Jesus. That they would bow down before his mighty right hand. That they would submit to his rule and his reign, his lordship. That they would receive a new heart and from that new heart now be compelled by grace to obey. He who loves me obeys my word. Jesus, help us to love you more as demonstrated by our obedience. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.